Hello film gods, how are we all? Living the dream, I'm hoping. Um, thank you all for coming in and, and having a, a little listen to this episode with an amazing man who is one of Britain's finest and um, definitely a best of Britain. Um, I also want to give a little shout out in this intro to a couple of companies who have helped me get through these last few weeks with their beautiful coffee. Uh, I'm not getting paid for this. It's not a sponsor. I'm just giving it out as just pure love. Um, but all the peeps at another house um, had them on a few jobs and you know the craft service and the craft coffee just really helps us get through the day and they I had my first cupping oh hello uh, which I didn't know was like a coffee tasting and it was uh, Mr. Dave Palmer um, at solarbeancoffee.com um, who bought himself a solar paneled roaster through in lockdown and we all know Davy P Papa P um, DIT um he bought it so i bought some of the coffee from him he brought it to the job and then um the barista from another house gave us um gave us a little tasting but just a big shout out to another house um at another house dot london and solar bean coffee at solarbeancoffee.com um have a great ep as i said this man's a legend um and you're going to just have such a great time listening, lucky people. Big love. Let's get started. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another wonderful, epic. I just, I'm getting goosebumps already because we've, we've, we've been chatting for about half hour before this. We had a chat earlier on in the year and um, I just seem to just get, it's like the stories, the experience, what you're going to learn today for being in film, for being a scriptwriter, for just being in the industry is going to be amazing. So thank you so much for kind of coming back. And it's like ding, ding, round two. I just, it's amazing. So what's your name, sir? And what is your call? Um, what's your role on the call sheet? Uh, my name is Trix Worrell and I'm a writer-director. That's my role in the call, call sheet. And um, yeah, I've been so for nearly 30 years now doing it. Um, Stop it. And yeah, I know. Stop that. Uh, <laughs> shouldn't have said that. And uh, <laughs> showing your age now, tricks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? That's what Google. That's what Google's for, isn't it? Somebody will find it out. My God, he says he's twenty-two. He's lying. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, what does it mean? Like, what does that when you're on set now and you're the right director? What does it mean to you to be there? It means everything because, you know, as a kid, it's the only thing I ever wanted to be was, you know, to be employed in the industry. Um, I was a child that grew up on Saturday morning pictures, you know, going to Saturday morning pictures with all my mates, walking up the old Kent Road where more and more people joined in. And then we sat there for two hours in the darkened room, whistling and cheering and, and uh, <laughs> doing a talent show too, being as an ABC minor. So it meant everything to me, Phil. Um, it's been education, it's been my best friend, it's shown me worlds. It's been my escape in many ways, um, especially when I was younger when there was a lot of racism on the streets. Um, mm. And, you know, I used to duck into the cinema mm. and spend some time there to get away from Millwall fans and God knows else, who else wants to chase us and beat yeah, us yeah. and call us, you know, go home, your neighbours or whatever, you know. So, yeah. It was, uh, it's always been a magical place for me. So to get in was, yeah, it was, was amazing. And, and was there um, a, was there like a seed? Was there something else apart from 
camaraderie to go there on a Saturday. Was there something else that you kind of, did you always love storytelling? Was there something, was it, uh, did you, what, 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 what's the, let's just start from the beginning. Where did it? Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think two things. I think writers are created, but, but I just, more importantly, I think writers are born. Mm. And uh, yeah, I love stories. You know, I was away at school and so I used to read a lot or read badly because I was dyslexic or whatever, but makeup stories was one of the things that I, I loved doing. And, mm. um, but cinema itself, you know, it just reminded me when I was a kid in the Caribbean, we used to have a storyteller. So, and this is a person that used to tell a story on the full moon every month. And he'll sit under the coconut tree, we'll sit on the beach, and he was telling us these stories that would frighten the big Jesus out of us. <laughs> <laughs> like you wouldn't sleep for a week. <laughs> absolutely. So, but they were just brilliant. And then after that, somebody string a cheat up between two coconut trees and play Elvis in Hawaii, you know what I mean? <laughs> On the projector or, or help the Beatles or, you know, whatever. And, and that was just magical. So That's cinema amazing. and the business has always been a magical place for me. Mm. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, as you, as you get older and you get into the business itself, you realise it's called business for a reason. There's a lot of business before there's a lot of show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the business side of it is very tough indeed uh, because everybody thinks they can do it. Yeah. So, well, I said, at um, uni, they never, you know, being a second AD, they never once said in any of my uni modules, you're going to need to set the alarm at four o'clock to drive for two hours to stand in a car park outside of a Winnebago waiting for people to get changed. That's yeah. just never, that's never on yeah. the modules, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Just, <laughs> and that was before level. waves. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, getting the A to Z This when you had a map. I had to yeah. do the map. Pull over. Oh, Bruv, shit, yeah, I've been going yeah. the wrong way for that's 10 the minutes. One, that's the one. <laughs> Ending up in a ford somewhere, you know, knee deep in water thinking, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, I've never really want to do anything else other than be in the industry. Yeah. And um, I started writing for theatre. That's how I started initially. Okay. I went uh, whilst you were at school and a degree? Or yeah, or no, I, I was at school and I didn't do a degree. I just, um, I went on a writer's course, which was held at Royal Court. It was a six weeks course. Okay. And um, during that summer holiday, so I was waiting for A-levels and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the play that I'd written was chosen to be performed, you know. And wow. uh, so what, you were like 17, 18, that kind yeah, of Yeah, 18, I think 18, 19, yeah. And, wow. uh, and then I, but before then, sorry, if we go back a bit, before then I used to, uh, used to be part of a youth theatre. Initially it was the Old Vic Youth and then there was the Albany Empire hmm. in Bedford, which is a theatre there, community-based theatre. And there was a youth theatre there run by two people. One was a lady called Brenda Moore. But more importantly, it was run by Martin Stellman, who's the screenwriter, who wrote Babylon, Quadrophenia. Wow. And, uh, and he was my mentor, you know. Um, Martin then left, and, uh, and I just cheekily <laughs> lied to the Arts Council. And stuff. <laughs> I got this play, and uh, Martin's helping me out of it. And, uh, and, and I, you know, applied to the Arts Council for money to put the play on, and I got it. Wow. And, uh, but I've never written for theatre before <laughs> to that point. Okay. Martin, but you'd been in that world. You'd seen it. You'd kind of, yeah, as, you know, you'd, yeah. Been, you'd seen scripts. It wasn't something too alien to you. I had, seen, I had seen scripts. I uh, I'd seen Martin's scripts. I'd been in plays, you know, and, um, and just loved the whole world of it. Um, mm. And Martin himself was kind of, he was generous to a point where, 
and he says he can't remember this now, but um, he said, um, I said, look, Martin, I've got this play, man. You know, it's, yeah. he was in Australia at the time. He said, I've got this play, bruv. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he said, but I've never written a play before. He, said, he just went, bruv, you can do this. Wow. And I went, I felt emboldened. And I went, yeah, of course I could do this. <laughs> so I did. And, <laughs> and I continued to write theatre thereafter for a number of years. And then I talked. Uh, I had a youth drama group um, and uh, we did a play. And what it culminated in is this play called Just Like Mohicans. And it was set on, um, on bonfire night and it was all done in real time. Okay. Um, and it's about a group of scallywags who uh, were breaking into people's houses and stealing their video recorders. Remember those things? Yeah. They had green lights flashing. So yeah, yeah, they never yeah. switched that off. So you knew there was a video recorder in there. <laughs> And it was set on bonfire night when most of the houses were empty because they're all going to Peckham Rye to watch the display there. Yeah. So these guys had a a, a window, yeah. metaphorically and physically, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. rob the house and get before the families came back. Anyway, they break into this house. There's an old black woman, and um, and so there's and one of the characters, two white guys and one black guy. One of the characters. They have a fight, the, the, free, the free burglars, and uh, he ends up defending the old black woman. And then there's discussion about, you know, the two generations. Mm. Um, and so that was the play. And anyway, so one of the cast sent this off uh, to a writer's competition on Channel 4. Did you know about it? Um, I had no idea. <laughs> no idea whatsoever. The other thing we did with the play, we had a Q&A. Okay. So, and in the play, which actually didn't trans, <clears throat> we didn't see on TV, was um, was the police was then sent in and uh, they arrest the guy, and then afterwards there was a Q and A between the audience and the actors, and they all came out in characters, including the policeman. Wow. And so that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Anyway, so yeah, so the cast sent it off because they really loved it, and it won. And uh, Channel Four then, yeah, it won. It was. It won debut it was called debut writer screenwriting um and then channel four said yeah that's great they pat me on the back and said um gave me a thousand pounds and said go away and don't do that again and i said well aren't you going well, to done. film it yeah no. i was supposed to make this yeah yeah but so so what is this all about then yeah. <laughs> so, so i threatened them with the press i.e because um i'd had reviews from my plays before and i got to know certain people one of which was john comfort Okay. The, the film director, right? And um, he used to work for Time Out at the time. And he used to also write for The Guardian. And, uh, and then they said, oh, right, okay, we, we better make it. Because I, I said, you know, what is the point of having this competition aimed at black people and people of colour who then, you know, I go on to win it and then you, you're not going to show it in the medium that we, you know, that we so admire and think this is great and that's why we put the play in in the first place. And mm. So, you know, that's common sense willed out. And um, yeah, and so that was a taste of it. Um, but then I, you know, I wanted to write outside of proscenium arch. And, um, and there was only one film school in the world for me. So I needed training because the language, writing for theatre is one thing, but writing screenplays is something completely different. Mm. And it's like, it's a different language. And so I applied to the National Film School I didn't have a film. Um, they they interviewed me and then said, "Look, you don't have a film." I said, "Well, you know, my daddy's not give that me rich." A week. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see that. You know, why don't you give me some money? I understand. You know, if you think. And uh, so I managed to raise some money, and I went away for the, you know, that year and produced two films for the price wow. of one, you know, price of one. 
And then one of them was called Weeds, which was a horror. Um, and uh, yeah, and it and BBC had a short films competition that it was entered and and yeah, I came third, you know, to the first punt of writing and directing. Right. Wrote the music, I did everything, brother. I did it, I made the tea, I, I made the cook. Huh? Did you do it? Yeah, I was going to just like ask, how did you how did you crew it up? Did you just kind of? I crew it up in my youth theatre company, and uh, and we just we just hiked it on. You know, we used we used shopping trolleys as dollies, and you know, we did all that sort of stuff. And <laughs> and it was a girl yeah. at the back of the. It was a girl that sat at the front of the coach on the, on the field trip school outing, mm. who was peed off with the guys at the back making all the noise, and she ends up killing them. Oh. Right. She just going had enough of that. She tries to tell them shut up, and right. she's a religious nut. And uh, but she ends up hanging most of them. So we had to fake that. So we had to only show show show, <laughs> show the shoes swinging from yeah, a tree. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, well, we did it, mate. We yeah. improvised. You know? <laughs> Smashed it, and then coming third. So I guess that's like you know you you write like a, a couple of theatre things, you win that prize. You you shoot a couple of films, you get in that third. Is this I guess that that kind of passion leads all of that yeah I think it is passion actually and uh, I learned a valuable lesson from a producer once when I was directing my first multi-camera shoot and you know and everybody was on the loop you know what's that called with the we could talk to where the director's in the box yeah and everybody's on that and I remember he said he said look you know he was the producers behind me in the glass booth behind and this is a um the London studio, right? Mm. And he just said, you know what, Tritz, you know, in order to direct this, you have to be a bit more passionate. You have to just say what it is rather than just chat. They don't respond to chat. You just mm. have to do it. So and funny, Jane was next to me too, and Jane said, because that's how I met her. But um, yeah, so it was like, um, yeah, so yeah, it's passion. Mm. It is passion. And that separates the wheat from the chaff, you know. you. In order to do the NFTS, then so having shot those two films, did you? Yeah, having shot this, I went. I I went to the national and um, the national film school, and yeah, and then I won this competition, and then they were shooting it. And there's a golden rule at film school that you, in the first year, you're not allowed to leave for anything, otherwise you leave. Full stop. So So I had to have more special dispensation to do this. Yeah, Um, and. what was interesting was that they they wanted a black director. They couldn't find one. I directed it for Sage. Um, so they got a black documentary filmmaker mm. to sit in whilst I worked with the actors and did all the rest of it, you know, and he'd never, he, he'd done a UB40 video nice. uh, documentary about them. His name is Faith Iziat Pere. He's a nice guy, nice guy. But, you know, by his own admission, never worked with actors before. Mm. And whereas as kind of seasoned director, theatre director, I knew what I wanted. And, yeah. yeah, and so and so he got the credit, but I, I directed the actors. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and the film school let me do that, which was really nice Brilliant. of them. Um, so I came back and, and the great thing about the film school for me is that you just, in your first year, you just make films, bro. Love it. You know, for a whole year, we made 12 short films where you rotated wow. in di- different disciplines, right? So one okay. time I was a stand man, next time, next time I was a set dresser, I was doing this, I produced them, um, you know, so yeah, I, I lit them. Yeah, so that was the first year, we just made films and, I, and that's just paradise for me. <laughs> yeah, and did you do <laughs> any of those and suddenly go, actually, I kind of want to be a DP or actually I like producing. Was it, you know, did you get other little bugs or was it always like, I love writing, 
And I'm I, like no, no. Actually, what it was was I wanted to be a better writer director, mm. right? And I felt that the the best way I could become a better screenwriter is to know all the disciplines. And in fact, yeah. that was kind of drummed into us. That's the thing, you know, that just to, so we actually respect other disciplines within. So mm. the directors, they don't feel that they're the bee's knees. And, you know, if a Sandman says, well, I, I need to do this again, nobody's going to go um, down tools and go, oh, and shit, you know, because that's what happens sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. There is a pecking yeah, yeah. order. But um, yeah, I just thought that like a conductor, mm. you know, I needed to know as much as I possibly could behind the camera before I got up that on that podium and, you know, and get a DP that goes, well, you know, we need to do this and this, we need to get this HMI and this, you know, no, 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 we just need a couple of props, we could like this. <laughs> so just to, just to know the language, you know, it is a language and I enjoyed all elements of it, but I wanted to write, I think I'm, you know, I was born a writer. It's, uh, I'd say it's a curse. I, you know, I live with stories in my head and once they're down on page and I could breathe a sigh of relief and clatter them up with another story, do you know what I mean? So, mm. but yeah, but it gave me, to answer your to question, it gave me, um, yeah, it gave me the platform to see what, you know, what goes into filmmaking, which was... Does it also, I guess some, some directors that have hadn't gone to the nfts or hadn't done this they kind of get onto a set for the first few times and kind of have that imposter syndrome to, yeah. to a sort of degree but yeah. it's like you know once you've kind of gone through that experience you know does it did it give you some sort of confidence in yourself that when you left the nfts it's like i've been to the nfts dude it's like i'm a well, fucking yeah, yeah, right, right, like, i mean yes out. it does it does and and i think for most people it would have done but in my experience it didn't didn't necessarily help me Okay. Um, in the professional world, especially in television, you know, you go, well, I went to the film school, I know what I'm doing, you know, and they, and that just, Good others, they've gone, I've been to, oh yeah, sure, come, come do it, come do it. Yeah, yeah. I found, I found, and I just thought that was because of a certain melanin. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but it, it did obviously give you much, you know, more confidence about doing and, and knowing what you're doing on set. And imposter syndrome, I don't know. I, as a writer, I still feel that. I still have that <laughs> element every now and then. And go, you know, someday someone's going to find me out soon. You know, I'm not as good as they think. <laughs> It's like me as a second on set. I'm like, one day they're going to figure out that. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> there's this, yeah, this information's falling out of my mouth, bark, barking at everybody, going, but, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. No, but, yeah, so it is that. Um, I think what was lovely about the film school, too, it just... The just analysis of films would give you a greater understanding of what the directors and mm. various films that everybody goes, oh, it's fantastic, and what, what that really means, you know. Mm. Um, I still don't understand Citizen Kane, you know, everybody still says it's the greatest film ever, but hey, you know, I beg to differ. But, um, but at least I understood what awesome Rose Rose Rose. Rose. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, Rose God. Never knew that before, Rose and the Bud, mate. I think, I, those two words. <laughs> <laughs> But what it meant in a film, I have no idea. Um, until um, I managed to do a short film with one of the uh, one of the directors there, a guy called Kerr, David Kerr, and he used a shot from Citizen Kane. You know, his opening shot was from yeah, in sit where he goes for the neon and yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, so but you know, it gave you it gave you the tools um, nice. and but I and still what did think, that lead to? Did you kind of do the NFTS and then? What it, it led to was this. It was interesting because I, um, I sort, I create original ideas. That's I'm not 
I'm not a great person to be part of a team of writers, but yeah. particularly unless it's something I've created. Uh, I found it's that because I found myself though, isn't it? Off, you know, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of hear about writers' rooms in America, and there's like yeah, like 10, 12 people. Is it quite a British thing to be a solitary kind of? Yes, it's writer? very uh, yeah. It, it it is a British thing because I ended up uh, working on a Cosby show and. Uh, Wow. Cassie Warner, because he loved, Bill Cosby loved Desmond's and wanted to have that character in it. And uh, and then for legal reasons, he weren't, he wasn't allowed to have Desmond, but I created okay. a character for him, yeah, yeah. which starred Norman Beaton. And so I was part of that whole thing of, yeah, it is a writer's room. There were like 14 people there. There were different people for different characters that were punched up. So, but in England, yes, you're absolutely right. You know, it is that person on their own, you know, or he or she is a team, quite a team effort, quite uh, in many occasions in terms of comedy, it's so hard. Mm. But um, yeah, I just felt that, uh, yeah, so therefore I just, I create, I just have all these ideas all the time. And that's always been my kind of forte. And sometimes the ideas I come up with are way before their time. Um, And friends have always said that to me, God, you know, that's, that's a great idea, but you know what, that's, that's a bit that's a bit out there for the moment. And, yeah, yeah. That's a twenty thirty film. Yeah, that's yeah. like get twenty thirty-five, then we can maybe shoot that. Yeah. So um yeah, so but yeah, so I'm I so I'm originator of ideas and as soon as I've got it down, then I don't mind sharing that. I don't mind the team. I love the team effort actually. Okay. And uh because it frees me up and means I can go on and do other things. And, and I think one of the other things I'm really keen on is is the look of the piece. You know, um, and so that's that's part of the directorial thing coming in, you know. So yeah, yeah. I do try to do stuff that that you know, there is a strong look to it, and as and yeah, so that's in it. It's you know, so at the film school, when I when I left the film school, I I um Martin Stellman and I he's he wrote a screenplay called uh, In Defense in the Realm, and it's and it's starred Gabelburn and uh. I read the screenplay and I was absolutely in awe of it. It's an amazing screenplay, really tightly written. And I was just like gobsmacked, thinking, bloody hell, it's probably the best screenplay I've, I've read. Wow. And uh, anyway, Putman picked it up and uh, it was directed by David Somebody. I don't know, somebody will find it on, on Google. But I went to see a rough cut of it. And uh, the director literally completely rewrote stuff and a lot of it just didn't make any sense. And poor Martin, he felt absolutely crushed by it. Oh no. So yeah. So we <clears throat> went out for a drink and whatever. And um, he then said he never wants to do that. He doesn't want to be that vulnerable again, you know, because yeah. I think. What have they done? Are they taken the films? Are they seen the script said, brilliant. We want to make it. Yeah. We'll take the it usual five thing, years you know, and yeah. then we'll do whatever we want with it precisely that and that's what they did and you know and directors have and producers particularly because that you know they have the option on that script you know they can do whatever they want with it because you sell your product to mm. a producer who has an option and it means that they can do basically whatever they want with it mm. it's always strikes me as odd because you know they love the idea and then they yeah, completely it. change it yeah it's like you bought so, the idea because you loved it why would you then change what you love because the likelihood is it's not going to be something that you actually enjoy I think you know I I don't know I I can't really answer that because it just continues to happen but in my experience it's power okay I always have this feeling that um that producers on the whole are kind of wary of writers Mm. intellectually they find them challenging Mm. and uh and 
so they want to own yeah you know, and how and how they do it is by you know by it's all the 25 rewrites of different ideas from from somebody that doesn't hasn't read the script you know but um yeah so there is that thing of the producers really want to own the product or shape the product for a market they use excuse for a marketplace where they can sell it yeah but sometimes and and quite often actually you can tell when there's been too many producers on it because it just loses the spirit it feels like the whole thing's been quashed with martin he was going to write something working title had some in it and uh and then I piped up and said, look, you know, I've got an idea. And then we, and it's about somebody that we both knew. And and that's what happened. So he then went back to working title and said, you know, forget that idea, this idea. And that was called For Queen and Country. Um, we starred Denzel in the end, but that was another journey. But um, yeah. Um, Mr. Washington. Mr. Washington. Oh, yeah. I'd love My to first screenplay. Just, and it's, oh, you know, God. Yeah. Like, he's one of those dudes that you kind of, you see in interviews, you see online, you see on social media, you're like, like Tom Hanks, it's like you just a, you just seem like a really genuinely nice, but like the bubble of LA, the bubble of Hollywood, it doesn't feel like it's affected them much. I don't, I've never met him, but it that's what I kind of feel like. No, that's the truth. It, it really hasn't, and he is a really you know he's a generous man, mm. in generous in spirit, and 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 well read. Mm. The very few actors I, I've come across, I go, you know what, that, who are just so incredibly well read and so well versed and worldly wide about stuff. Denzel's one, Tilda Swinton's another. How was he? Where was um, he in his in his career path? In he, his trajectory, he just finished doing Cry Freedom. Okay. And I've seen a, a soldier story. Have you seen that? I haven't. No, but I'll, it's the first. It was like the first breakout. It was going. God, okay. this guy is amazing. Yeah, Look yeah. how so he, he was, physically, he physically transforms his body when he gets angry in this one scene. You just go, "Oh my God!" I want to see Bruce Lee do that. Um, and uh, yeah, so he just don't cry freedom. And and Dicky, <laughs> so Richard Attenborough called me Dicky. Um, <laughs> Dicky just said, "You have to see this guy." So we went to see him. Yeah. And we met him, and uh, and yeah, and he he then went back, and he, he did said, but you know about the screenplay and, it, and his people anyway. There was a woman called Joan Leapman that worked for him, and she just said it was the best screenplay that I read that year. Wow, and that's why he wanted to do it. So, and was it uh, based in? Where was it based? What was the, it? Was based was in it? South London. I mean, it's a sort. It's an urban western. Really, okay. wow! Um, it's uh, it's about the man with no name. He comes back into town. People yeah. sort of remember him, but they don't. Mm. And it's a lot, you know. It's kind of the last two weeks of a man's life, you know. Mm. And what happens with him is that he comes back from the Falklands. He fought for Queen and Country. Yeah. When he gets back, he gets a letter saying um, he needs to apply for British citizenship. Yeah. And in order to do that, he needs to pay two hundred quid. And so obviously the man's vexed about that. Because he then storms into the home office and says, look, you know, I stopped counting when I killed the 13th person for, for Queen and Country. Yeah. You know, I'm British then when the muck and the bullets and I think I'm quoting the film. But um, but now, in order to be British, I need to give you 200 quid. Yeah. And um, so he then becomes this, his old mucker is now his major drug dealer. Okay. And uh, he becomes the hired gun. Wow. So, um, well, was Denzel, and, did yeah. he, did, oh, he came out like all shot in London. Yeah, he all shot in London. The... He was the most amazing guy. He, this is the strength of Denzel Washington, right? So, a friend of mine uh, called Neville James and his girlfriend, Debbie Taylor, he was awaiting trial and she was expecting, they were expecting their first child. And they lived in Bow, right? So, 
Denzel asked me, who did I base the love interest on in, in the film? Because in America, him having an affair with a white girl was persona non grata. Wow. Right? And it yeah. was a really big thing. So he said, in order for this to work, I really need to know who you base this on. I need to meet them. And I know in England, it's a different thing. People, there are multiracial relationships in, mm. within the working classes. Um, so, and that's a thing, right? He said, I understand that the migrant, you know, initially the migrants that came over, then they started dating the Irish because it was the Irish and the blacks that were ostracized. So they, you know, um, and he said, so I took him to meet Debbie. And, uh, and he, as part of his research, he stayed in their flat, oh. right? Not only did he stay in the flat, he stayed in the nursery that she <laughs> made for the kid, with a cot in one corner, and his bed that was four foot six. Now, Denzel's like six foot three or something. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so he's legs, with his legs sticking. <laughs> yeah. And then we took him to local boozers, bro. We went yeah. to local boozers. We had a time of our life. Okay. And um, yeah, it was very, very funny. And right at the end, before he went off, just the highest he had to go, because his wife was pregnant too. Pauletta was pregnant hmm. with John David. Right? And um, so he, he then gave her an envelope, you know, £6,000, which was his per diem, and wow. said, this, this is for the baby and the state that never gets off and that Neville did actually and um yeah that's incredible yeah. do you know what mm. that's just that's just cemented that's, I love this guy I love Denzel Washington that's it he's 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 top of the <laughs> list he's oh god and <laughs> no, then so what was problem. that experience like as a because I guess it was a first one of your first major it was my first pictures. major it was i tell you what it was like the first day I went on set, the first day, it was first day principal of photography. It was on set and I had a driver, his name was Toby, picked me up, was living in Limington Road, which is just in West Hampstead, right? Mm. And he picked me up at like five o'clock in the morning um, because the other thing I was on set, which is totally unheard of, but, but Martin was directing it. So he said, yeah, yeah, you know, as a writer, you need to be on set just in case we have to change some stuff or Denzel finds it just difficult because the accent he never nailed it so i was employed south london or was it was it south london yeah so he was trying to do sort of mockney south london fell miserably unfortunately but um (laughs) but his performance was good um but um yeah Yeah, and so i was his i was his uh, vocal coach i was that you know so anyway so we get to the set and three sides of russell square was had the kitten kaboom the trucks the you know the jennies everything right Mm. And Toby pulled up and I just said, and he opened the door and I said, no, no, bro, no, no, no. I just have to watch this a minute. I just have to pinch myself, you know, this is actually <laughs> happening. Also, I was very happy because I was going to get paid, but um, yeah, yeah. when the writer gets paid first day of principal photography, but, but it was that, you know, of me sitting in the room, pacing up and down for a year and a half, because it took nearly, yeah, 18 months to write that screenplay. Wow. Yeah, with enough drafts, Martin and myself. And, um, yeah, and just to see all these people rather than these two nutters in one room trying, yeah. to, get, trying to make the screenplay work. And that was just, that was, yeah. The that was an amazing, got on your face. amazing experience. It's huge, huh? even now you're talking about massive. it. It's like, you can't, Bro, but it was massive. Like, it was massive. It was just up. like, yeah, that seven-year-old's still there. You know? Yeah, man. Saturday morning it's, pictures. Saturday morning pictures. It's like, you know, yeah. sitting, you're sitting on a beach in St. Lucia and people yeah. are watching your fucking film. This is it. This has happened now. Yeah, it is actually. Oh, it is. That's and, amazing. Uh, yeah. 
Amazing. <laughs> a thing I'm working on currently, I want to shoot in St. Lucia, and uh, everybody's going, oh, it's Trix Wells next day. Oh, my God. And suddenly Jamaica's heard of it, and they're going, oh, Trix Wells, ah, we want it. And so, yeah. yeah. If you need someone yeah, to carry bags, team. I'm a fucking great team maker. I can carry bags. <laughs> bro, like, yeah. don't worry about I've got you in mind, bruv. I've yeah, got you. I'll be your Toby. I'll drive you around. That's fine. You know, you know what's going to happen, innit? So you go out there with your kid, and by the time you come back, he'll be 21. You know that, innit? <laughs> and you're not coming back. Yeah, yeah. My wife would be like, uh, are you ever going to come back? Like, no, no, no. We've just got another two months of shooting. <laughs> and then... <laughs> oh, God. So look, it's like you've, 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 the passion has started. The, 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 the kind of, the the ingrained kind of future of filmmaking and thing is like it's kind of it, it gets set very early on you go to theater you're at the nfts you've made your first feature film was there a point there that you suddenly went is this is this fucking really like i'm a i'm a writer now did you ever kind of have that point or does it are you always kind of trying to catch the next script the next thing the I, I thought I had that point, you know, that, oh, God, I'm a writer then. And then uh, for Queen and Country premiered in Cannes, and as a writer, I wasn't invited. What? Yeah, yeah. It's wasn't your invited. idea? No, so... I wasn't invited. That's mad. And, uh, and so that bubble burst pretty damn quick. <laughs> <laughs> it lasted two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's kind of Cannes, they're flying Denzel over, and Denzel saying to me, you coming? I'm going, no. Oh, my <laughs> and, uh, God. But he actually, he spoke to me once he was out there. but um. And uh, yeah, I wasn't invited. And then um, uh, Tribits, Paul Tribits was going. He was working for a company called All Arts and they were doing a Peter Greenaway film and he was doing a documentary on it. And I met Paul at the National, even though he wasn't there, he was producing something there. And he just turned around and said, look, you know, tricks. this might not ever happen to you again. You know, a world premiere of your film at the Cannes Film Festival. This is what dreams are made. This is what it's yeah. all about. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. But I'm broke, Paul. And he says, don't worry, I'll give you the money. So he gave me the money and off we went. Wow. Go down there and, uh, and I got there just in time for the um, opening. And uh, so, you know, I snuck in the back and whatever. I had to get a dicky bow tie and all, this, all the other, but that's another story. And, oh, yeah. and then um, Tim Bevan and uh, Sarah Radcliffe at the time, who were working totally, wasn't Eric. Um, and they were so embarrassed by it all. It felt really bad. Baz Bambing boy, the film critic for the male time was he he made him feel even worse you know so um so yeah and so next minute i know i'm writing i am doing all the press along with denzel Brilliant. and working out and getting some money and you know whatever to go and stay places and so i did and i did quite a lot of press on it and uh, with mm -hmm. martin Stallman and denzel so it was it was all right in the end i mean you know what do you do but it just that to me just cemented that the whole thing about writers and where they are. Yeah. Oh, pecking order of things, you know. Um, and so, and and was that was that something then that kind of put a little dink into film and went, all right, I want to go into telly? Or how did the when did de like you know? When I think did what it did, it it put a dink. It sort of made me realise that actually what a writer's worth is within the industry. You know, it, writers were the one of the last people to be involved in film because you know films came from yeah silent right yeah 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 and in fact the first the first talkie was written by janitor because they couldn't find a writer so um straight and um and so therefore you know the whole thing about writers and what because because everybody can read and write in the industry so it follows therefore that everybody can write yes 
which is bullshit, really. Yeah, you know, exactly. you don't go and do three year postgrad. You know, yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah. But that's how they. That's how writers are viewed. Where we're viewed as, you know, um, ideas people, particularly, you know, whatever they want us. But actually, yeah, we we take hits, and we're also we're lone characters, you know. So lone people in the industry, as you know, can, you know, can get hit. Um, it's a tough gig, you know. Yeah. So if they don't like what you're saying on this draft, they get somebody else in. That's madness. And then, you know? so what? What did you did you do some more films? Did you start? Yeah. What happened then? On the way there, I decided we'd try it to set up a film company, and we did. It's called Wicked Films. So that was on the way there. In fact, we were going to call it the Iron Steel Company for some strange reason. Um, and uh, yeah, and then you know, Desmond's was going at the same time. And what was interesting was that. The Queen and Country premiered in England on a Friday. Desmond's went out on television for the first time that Monday. Wow. So, what yeah, a week. So, yeah, it was a week. It was a week. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think for me, I always realised that in order to get things done, I'd have to do it myself. Yes. I think that's what it A great lesson me. for any... Pretty, pretty damn early into my career, really, that um, nobody's... You know, and I said the same thing to my my boy, but you know that nobody's going to give you anything. Mm. You know, you have to go and take it, or create it, or make it yourself, and that's what I do. I, you know, I sort of went off and ran a film company because I wanted yeah. to direct, and we we ran a film company using first time directors, and that's they're the hardest people to finance. Wow. But yeah, was so that a specific both, choice? Because you were like, I want that was to give a specific back. choice by us because actually they were of a similar ilk. We we being in the industry then were when music video was king. You know, mm. music videos. We were doing loads and loads of music videos, and the profits that we made from the music videos, we then invested in films, and that was the kind of that was the route. That was the formula. You know, mm. um, uh, working title did it. Palace did. You know, so that was the kind of formula. Um, Palace not so much so though, but. Um, and uh, yeah, um, and so, you know, we sat down one day and said, look, you know, what sort of films make the most money? And we ascertained it was a sci-fi horror. So we did a sci-fi horror. Nice. Because you can't guarantee an income in, tea, right. in film, really. The only time you can guarantee anything is by the star you have. Hmm. And that's based on the first week's weekend box office, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so from a writer's point of view, I also wanted to know as much as possible, you know, that to help and read as many scripts as possible that come. Because mm. then I made choices, you know, so that was good. And Richard Stanley, who did hardware, probably the most gifted writer I think I've ever read. Wow. Yeah, it just, it was, seem, it was just, it seamless to him. Mm. We went and sold that film. Um, and never forget, so, so for Queen and Country, and, uh, and I just thought, Scam was so opulent. Mm that I just couldn't take it. I just thought, this is just too much. I, I was Give on the- South London. I, want, I just yeah, want to walk the streets of I saw, I saw the champagne bill. Um, oh God. For a, a particular event. And I happened to be next to Weinstein as well as uh, Goldsmith, right? Um, and, and, and Nick Howell. Big power the, table. Hmm? Yeah, it was a big power. Yeah, because they put money anyway. So, but I saw the bill. And I was drinking Dom Perry and I thought, you know what? This is just insane. And I was in the toilet pissing this shit out, you know? I This is it. more money that I've earned in two years. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, Madness. I've got to get out of here. And I did. And, um, and 
ironically enough, a year later or so, um, we came back with hardware. And then the following year, we did a world premiere with hardware. Mm. So, um, so, and at the time, Desmond's was still going, you know. Um, television was still going. I was coming up you, with more and more ideas. Did you kind of, you know, because it's like, you, you, you kind of said there, like, you, there was a learning curve that you were going to need to do it and make it all happen for yourself. And just instead of just writing one script, you're kind of writing multiple scripts. You're shooting a film. You're doing the Desmonds, which I know from our last chat, you were very involved with. How do you, yeah. like, how did, how did it all fit in? How, you know, how much could you give to Desmonds and how much could you give to the script? Or how did you just manage it all? Well, it was, it was all consuming. It was everything to me, mm. you know. And um, as a writer, I get up early anyway. So, and if I have a project in my head, I don't really sleep that well for long periods of time until it's out yeah so i've managed to you know know who these characters are how what their speech patterns are what is the genre of this particular piece um you know and i and i normally work on about three ideas at the same time wow i've always done that yeah so and as we're speaking now you know i'm working on three ideas at the same time but (laughs) so um yeah and the other thing was back in the day um there was a lot of hate between television and film. Okay. There wasn't a lot of love, you know. So if you mm. said you worked in television, where the time you told anybody actually went out and, and you know, you wrote feature films, that there was there was separate things. And yeah, yeah. especially from television to film, you know, they're just, you know, so so who do you think you are then? <laughs> I had that when um the producer of Desmond's came to see for Queen and Country, I got him tickets to go and see yeah, the and um and he he had no idea I'd done that. Really? Yeah, he had no idea because I kept it well, well, well away from him. And uh, and it's interesting because uh, certain things changed after that when people found out that's what I did too. Things changed. It was interesting. Really? Yeah. In, and I guess the way you're saying it, it didn't sound like it happened for a good in a good way. No, it didn't. Not in a good way at all. Um, and uh, it's because you know it's. I think there was a lot of um, jealousy is probably too strong a word to it, but certainly, you know, it's thinking, well, you know, this guy in front of me is doing all this stuff as well, you know. Because it sounded like you were probably and, young, weren't you? You, you weren't, yeah, you I weren't was young. Yeah, you were young. Yeah, I was young. You were just and, doing but, you know, it. You're young and you're dumb, you're full of it, isn't it? So, that, so you're <laughs> running on it. So, um, yeah. but this was, you know, for me, this was, this was my dream. Hmm. So I'm doing my dream job here. Oh. And and ultimately, if I wasn't getting stuff in television, then I certainly make you know we were developing in films, so it wasn't as hard as you think. Only because um, you know to develop films takes between three to five years to get one off the ground. So and especially if you're dealing with first-time directors like the Richard Stanley or the Danny Cannons of this world, and yeah, yeah. you know when we did Young Americans, that was the big you know. So we had. We had Harvey Cartel, we had Vigo Morrison, we had Tandy Newton, all these, you know. Wow. Uh, and it's huge. And it was Danny Cannon, <clears throat> his first feature. Um, and just based on that alone, then he got Judge Dredd. Off that from one the, film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a first-time director coming up through the ranks? Yeah, from, from the National, yeah. I, we went to see what was interesting, we, we heard about him. And then we approached him before he did his graduation shoot, before he, he screened his graduation film, which yeah, was yeah. at BAFTA uh, at the film school, because the graduations then always took place at, took place at BAFTA and the industry were there, right? Yeah. 
Mm. And he was running out of money. And he was doing a film called Tinsel Town in the Rain, we heard. So we just went out there and gave him the money to finish it off. Nice. And in the understanding that he come, he signs a two-picture deal with us because he's so talented, this guy. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so by the time it was screened at BAFTA, all the producers were all over him like a rash. <laughs> and he just said, look, I'm sorry. <laughs> I I'm signed tricks. tricks. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but the contract was broken after that because Stallone stepped in and Andy, Andy Vanya and, and wooed him off after the Young American. So, you know, can you can do you, Yeah, breath? you couldn't hold him back. Like, you Ruff, know, it's we, like, what are yeah. you going to do? It's like, don't, we don't, the don't do judge. Fun, yeah. And then come back and do another one with us. It's like, Precisely. You know, Precisely uh, that. So, uh, yeah, we didn't want the resentment. And we were really happy for him, even though the film was terrible. But um, because... Sylvester Stallone wants to take his mask off. You know, just don't do that. Judge Dredd never took his mask off. No. I remember that conversation actually where he's going, you know, but I need to, just in case people don't know who I am. Go, of course they, because no you've got a frozen mouth. Everybody knows what that jawline is. For God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's either desperate Dan from from you know from the from the dandy, or it's gonna be Sylvester Stallone, one of the two. Like, that's it, bro. That's it. That's <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, that's but, yeah. Amazing. So um, yeah, we were we were doing good. We were um, and Desmond's is like was that something? Was that a, a passion Desmond's project? Became, you know, De- Desmond's that... became a sort of instant hit. Um, what was lovely about it was the fact that everybody that worked behind it were behind it. If you know what I mean, they really wanted this thing to work. Yeah. The actors loved it. They loved their characters. You know, for me, I was in heaven because I always wanted to work, work with Carmen Monroe because I remember her in Angels and thinking, oh, my God, she's the only black person I saw on television and she happened to be female and she was foxy as that, you know, but right. suddenly I can work with her and she's a damn good actress. Norman Beaton I've always liked as an actor. Um, and in fact, when I wrote Desmond's, when I write characters, I tend not to attach any actors to them because I just want them, I don't want that voice or that character or that actor to yeah. kind of, permeate oh, yeah, into the yeah, script yeah. um so once i'd finish it to see if writing them i did say they the producer sat me down and the producer at the time was uh, charlie hansen and um humphrey barker and so so who is it i said there's only this can only be one person that can play this and and, and actually charlie and i and all of us we said yeah no one beaten so we're all on the same page and say norman played Desmond, yeah wow and uh the other thing for me was that, you know, I just spent two years writing, or 18 months writing for Queen and Country, and that's no comedy. And I don't know why they asked me to write a comedy. Channel 4 mm. had said, they made me up and said, look, you know, we we want a comedy and we want it from you. And, I think, and is this the Channel 4 that you'd won the competition yeah. that then didn't give you the money, but then they did give you the money? You know, that's precisely same. that. And wow. Dondi, who was head of diversity then, he was on the panel and he remembered just like Mohicans and he mm. said, you know, it really enjoyed that screenplay, that, that play. And uh, so I I took it and I just went, okay, um, I could do the money. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I'd love to meet these guys as producers because I knew who they were and I've never mm. met them before. And, uh, and yeah, and so I just wanted to meet Humphrey Barclay, the producer, really. Mm. So on the way there, I came up with the idea. And, on uh, the way, so you didn't have anything? No, I didn't. When we want a comedy no, coming, you're like, yeah, no worries. Yeah, um, what did yeah. you do? Just <laughs> didn't have a clue. <laughs> Thinking up most of that night going, what is it? What can we, yeah. yeah. On the way there, I was on the 36 bus. There was a, uh, it stopped at traffic lights. I looked to my, I was on the top. 
of the bus. Look down to my right, and there's a barbershop I used to go to mm. called Fair Deals in Queens Road in Peckham, right? And um, and it was Monday morning, and it was about nine o'clock, and it was it was a girls' school around the corner called Collingwood Girls' School, and the sixth form girls all had their skirts rolled up, and you know, just, and and the barbers were were just chirping these girls. <laughs> <laughs> Outside the barber shop, whistling at them and, and doing all sorts. And, in, and I could see inside the barber shop, there were three people, some half, half shaven, half, you know, waiting like, for these guys. Shut up and get back in and finish <laughs> me off. Waiting for these guys to finish. <laughs> and that's how Desmond's came in. Wow. So I told Humphrey that, and, he, and his face dropped initially. He went, Yeah, right. So you, he said to me, Do you know how many barber shop comedies I get told? You know, the year and I said, yeah, no, no, bro, it's not about a barbershop. Mm. You know, this is a community centre. You don't go there to get your hair cut. You go there to talk rubbish, eat food, watch sport, and occasionally get your hair done. And also, yeah. the caveat was, is that Desmond's can't cut hair. You all just end up with a number one haircut. That was it. So he burst out laughing for it. It was fantastic. And, that, and, that's, <laughs> and, that's, and that's how wow. it was created. That, because it was one of, you know, black hair is specific. And... Mm. Um, and also, I was passionate about writing about a black family, a migrant family, because the, at the time, the only images that you saw of black people were in the news. Yep. You know, stealing one thing or muggings. Yeah, muggings yeah, yeah. suddenly really came associated with mugging. So every time somebody saw me walking down the street, they'll cross the road because I might mug them, you know. So, mm. and, um, so but I really wanted to show... Because I've often said, you know, I never wrote Desmond for black people. We know who we are. I wrote it for white people so they could see who we are yeah. behind closed doors. And, um, and that all came true because, the, you know, in the demographics, the biggest audience for Desmond's was in Ireland. Really? Yeah. That's, I can't, yeah. I'm not that surprised with it. That's, it kind of made, it's like, it was, you know, it was an institution in our house. When I told my wife that I was going to speak to you, she was like, are you fucking kidding me? The right, you know, it was like, you know, and yes, we're, you know, she's, you know, very white and I'm Spanish, but we've got, you know, it's, yeah, 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 it, was, sure. it was like, it was comedy because it was, it was just one, it was funny, but two, you kind of saw these people as people and they had their thing, but they were, hey, look, I'm not going to wax lyrical about it. You know, it was brilliant. No, but no, yeah, no, it was I like, think, you know, know, it was amazing. It, it's, it, Actually, here's a lesson to any would-be writer that, you know, the thing about comedy is that you have to find the truth in the character. Mm. And once you find the truth, then you could then you can find the humour. Mm. You can't just graft on the humour. You have no. to know this character really, really well. And I do, you know, sit down and write in my head or on people, you know, a whole biography on these characters. So when they hit the screen well, running, you know, you know who they are. Mm. You, the writer, and we, the public, are getting a genuine item, you know, item there. And is that something um, that you do with all characters? You kind of yeah. before you, before that first word is written on the script. What's your what's the prep to that point like? Are you just kind of walking around looking and go, oh, I've got a you know six year old you know something or other in my head, and I'm walking around and go, oh, she could be a bit of that, and the the, the mannerisms of him, and there's something of her, and how do, what what is that prep like? Well, it is it is that I tend to um, I call it my gestation period. I tend to come up with an idea and then. It takes about two years in my head as I walk wow. through. Um, that's why I'm always working on about three things at once, right? So <laughs> they're all in your head. I walk these characters yeah. through and uh, just to get a 360 on them. How nice. do they talk? What they, you know, what do they like? What do they don't like? You know, yeah. um, and what is culturally specific about them? Because in many regards, 
comedy comes out as sort of is a culturally specific kind of thing. And I found this out when I went to America to go and pitch an idea and I got it. Mm. But aided and abetted by the producer who then said, this comedy is a bit like this with this. And and these shows I've never even heard of, you know, Mm. but so, so going back to your question, yes, you, I, you do have to walk those, get to know who they are, what they like, what they don't like um, in order to give you a full depth of that character to find the truth in the character. Mm. Once you've done that, you know, and hopefully the situation that you come up with, nobody else has done it. And <laughs> that's yeah. past. Um, yeah. Then, then it's easy to write. Cause I guess that's difficult that... to write unless I get that. So I know those people. Yeah. Well, that, that knowing those people, all of a sudden the conversations that they're going to have, yeah, you know, you know, their history, you know, their background, you know, the speed that they say something, you know, the timing of, you know, the, yeah. That's and then it. Is, That's what, is it. it like a page of stuff? Is it two pages or do you just whatever? Do you just start what I writing? do? What I tend to do, it's um, I'm just writing one now and it's called a pitch document. And in the pitch document, I start with a series of images. Mm-hmm. Because I always, when I lecture, I always say to students, you know, um, that films and television is a luxury. You don't really need them. Mm. They're luxury items. So yeah. if you're going to sell an idea, it's done in a thing called a treatment or pitch document. And this is the brochure of the idea. So nice. if I were you, I would have an image on the front cover mm. to get a sense of what it is. So with a pitch document, I'm, well, I'm writing with this, this particular thing I'm writing called Deported. Um, there are three images at the beginning and, uh, and then I have a quote from Maya, Maya Angelou about adversity and diversity and, um, and not letting in those things mould you or make you mm. you should rise above that and then there's a scene I need to write a scene in those characters just to get a flavour of who they are and how they talk so I've written a scene, the scene is when in Deported, this thing I'm writing, is when he's just come back from a Black Lives Matter march. No, he's on his way to it. He's made some make these signs. This is our hero, our, our, the, the main Yeah, character. the main protagonist, right? So, and he's FaceTiming his his grandson, right? So, and uh, and then there's this whole thing about the grandson's a vet and he has to put down this dog, three-legged dog called Tripod and etc <laughs> great so, name for a dog that, that, <laughs> so legs, all that's yeah. happening and then and then um at the end of that scene he hears he hears a letter pop through the letterbox and he goes to it and he continues talking to his grandson on facetime um and then he opens the letter and it's from the home office saying he's going to be deported wow and it gives him that light so that's the end of that scene Mm. So that gives you a sort of tenure and flavour of like, it will make you laugh, but there's a lot of pathos there, there's a lot of wisdom, there's a lot. Mm. So I've done that scene, I've chosen that scene, and then we'll follow um, the characters over that period of time till he gets to the character. Anyway, so, so there's that. And, uh, and then there's a character breakdown, mm-hmm. right? So you get, and they tend to be a couple of paragraphs in the main with the uh, lead characters. Um, and a paragraph or so for, you know, for additional characters that, you know, regular characters. Yep. But with that, you, and in their, in their biogs, you, you need to portray a sense of who they are mm. and what you're going to get. Because I've always often likened comedy, good comedy, as, as really an old blues song. Okay. So you sit down there, da, na, 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 da, you know, so you've got the riff and, mm-hmm. and that's what you tune into, you know, it yeah, is the yeah, riff, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. and um, and 
for me that that riff in say something like only fools and horses with broken when rodney you knew when rodney left that's the end mm. got nowhere to go because right. the dynamic is always about rodney leaving but he doesn't right yeah. <laughs> and delboy looking after him yeah so um so there is that kind of thing going on. Um, so, so within my pitch document, my luxury brochure, and then I end up with, uh, with an image at the end, and that's it. Nice. So it gives you a sort of, and I try and do it as glossy as possible, or what a high res um, gives you an image of, of who and what this thing's all about. I'm really smart. It's really smart. Instead of it just being a word doc, and you, you know, it's just lots and lots of words, the likely it is that this is going to come across someone's desk who's got loads sure. of scripts and yeah. actually just seeing, just being able to visualize, not having to visualize it. So and just going, Oh, you know, it's like a sandals brochure with a big beet palm leaf and stuff. You suddenly precisely. can go, that's, that's the holiday that I want. That's the script yeah. that I want. You know, that's yeah. yeah it's a like luxury that. item. It's going to cost half a mil, you know, you, yeah. these are luxury things. So, hmm. um, and, uh, and I just knew the first three images on the, in the first pages would, would clinch this series. And nice. And it's got a lot of heat underneath it. And we, we're this week or next week, we're going to go to the various broadcasters, but everybody wants to see us. Um, and what's interesting about this is that people will watch it yeah, because of its title. You know, how do you make a series about somebody being deported funny? Mm. And it is funny. Mm. So, love it. Yeah. And this is the one well, that I'm going to come and be your driver. Is this is it great you you, you were mentioning sandals already so you're there aren't you (laughs) i'm already i've got like the washing is there i'm going to be doing the ironing and my and honestly my son's shirt's there and it's like this beach it's i'll show it to you it's It's there it's my it's my my hawaiian shirt i'm like there you go there you go bro listen man you know you come from spain you'd be well at home in the caribbean trust me love it (laughs) so love it well look i kind of feel like i'm uh, we've been on for nearly an hour and a bit hour and a half okay and i love i love the story i feel like i'm i've kind of got a real sense of one how hard it's fucking been to make it you know and yes it's hard for everyone to to get in and be a runner but you you're it seems like you set your height you you set your 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 vision a lot higher than just coming in being a runner making some teas and working up the channel it's like no motherfuckers i have a passion i want to be a writer and i'm going to fucking do it um and i just love and i love and i love the fact that it was and as easy as you made it sound i know that it must have been so damn hard for that friday and that monday where you go there's my feature here's my tv drama the amount of years and hard work that you've kind of put in um it's just it's just plain to see and and you when you're talking about it and your enthusiasm and you're jumping around like ladies and gents you can't see it we're on zoom but tricks when he's talking he's like he's jumping around and his eyes are lit up <laughs> and it's that passion that that i hope comes across and that the next generation of filmmakers get from this kind of episode and i just want to thank you from them i, no, want to no, I think that's i think you're so right by highlighting that because you know that's the sort of thing that i'm looking for when i'm employing when mm-hmm. i used to employ and i will continue with my new company to employ people that want to work i'm looking for passion yeah you show me passion you got the job yeah so what's you this know? new company and how can what can the well, next what can that next young tricks do to kind of get into your world Okay, right. It's a, the company's called uh, Distant Voices, and uh, it will be a production company. Um, and what we hope to do is to train um, young nice. people from you know different backgrounds and 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 skin tones and women to to work in the industry. So, but it will be driven by product. 
says, you know, if we sell deported, then yes, we'll have those heads of departments um, who are skilled and then everybody else working underneath it will be new nice. um, of people that never, you know, want to get in. And uh, what we hope to do then is to, to continue and assist for a couple of years and then they're on their own. So and I think, so we want to just it's get them out, board. you know. Yeah, yeah. And also we're looking for new writers. We're constantly looking for new writers, hence the distant voices, because mm -hmm. I want new voices. I want new stories. I don't, I'm fed up with seeing, you know, the Bronte sisters remade and remade and remade. You know, this is, mm -hmm. there's some wonderful stories that there. This is, they always go on about how diverse England is, especially London. So let's just get some diverse voices. Let's hear these different voices. Amazing. Let's hear these distant voices. Yeah. So well, I want to. I kind of want to thank you because I can't remember what number it is, but one of the the London um, Screen Academy um, students, um, she she was writing her first script for you know she, they're like 16, 17. They they found their passion. They're kind of that young person right. looking to get in. And she sent me a, a kind of, I don't know what I, you know, I'm supposed to write a 90 page script. Um, I'm only two way, two thirds through the to my story that I've got in my head and I've already, I'm at a hundred pages. And you, me, me, me being able to kind of email you and you sending back the fantastic, like things that she can do, like that kind of stuff means the world. One to me, because these are people that I don't really know, but they're asking me for help and, and having someone of your caliber that can kind of help out. And I just, for the, for the generations and for the, people that you're going to help over these next few years you know thank you for kind of doing it because a lot of people after the, the summer that we've just had yeah. there's a lot of people that are just in kind of let's fucking tighten the wagons let's just do what we do let's try and try and survive and actually you're like no fuck it you know let's let's push forward and let's actually give back you know that's the beautiful thing that i'm hearing it's like this production company that you're starting it's like I'm doing what you kind of probably what you wish you had had when you were growing up. Yeah, precisely that. And yeah, and I just know how difficult it is unless my name's Sebastian. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I need to change my name to Sebastian because he's Susko. <laughs> I think so. Susko. Like, they think yeah, I'm a listen, Japanese. He's welcomed in our production company. That's for sure. The name like that. So yeah, bro, come in. <laughs> What's your story? I make a mean. I make voice? a mean cup of tea. I'm telling okay. you. Hey. Six years hey, of running. That's why I you're am there. the guy. That's why you're there. You started by making a mean <laughs> cup of tea and you can still do that. So that's great. But yeah, but so, thank you um, so much. Yeah, man. I just think, you know, there are people who learn via books and there are those who learn on the job. Yeah, and, you know, um, and I want to give the opportunity for both of those voices. Um, and, uh, and I think the only way you're going to learn is by being on the job. You know, that I, I learned that from film school, that's for sure. You know, the first year, we just learned. Mm. We did film after film after film after film, short film, short film, and it's great, so you learn. Amazing. Well, look, is yeah. there anything that I haven't touched? Because there's probably loads of stuff that we could chat I'm about. I'm sure there is, and no doubt. I'd just like to thank you for, A, the, the interview, but B, the fact that this has been going all over the damn world, bro. Yeah, yeah, man. I was yeah. number one in Nigeria, number one well, in, in Russia. I'm like, come on, oh, let's hey. do it. <laughs> like all this, you know, and, and I guess it's it's what I'm learning and what I'm gathering, which is probably something that you've learned, is that actually film transcends one culture, one language, yeah, one country. And you know, the films and the and the and the TV, you know, it's like you said, like the, the people that watch the Desmonds the most and the highest ranking was in Ireland. And you probably never thought in a fucking million years that that was no. you know, you it was probably gonna be like a London thing or so you know, it was sure. like 
and and this is what I'm finding with the podcast is that you know there are people out in Russia and Portugal and Mexico and the only place we still haven't smashed is Antarctica. We've charted in all six continents. Oh, don't worry, bro. It's pouring out, and Antarctica will come to you soon. In water come back. on, those, <laughs> those penguins are going to get that. I'm just going to buy them all a little iPad yeah. and just tap it. And then come floating past your house in about ten years. Go on. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that, like it's like the film family is global. And as I started this, I'm talking to you know, I talked to Jane, um, who who's an amazing woman. She put me onto you, and it's like all these, all the the, the kind of spider web of our film family. It just—it's a global thing, and there are, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of people yeah, that work yeah, in this industry. You're, you're so so right, and uh, you know, two things that I learned from that um, teaching wise, I've taught in in Poland and in Paris, right? Um, mm. it, it did feel like a family. We were all talking the same language, even though yeah. it was French and, and Polish, and and they're all talking English because the project's um, from the nationals. Um, and so I get that strong sense, you know, the communicate and and the and just the dialogue. Mm. All these people just really passionate about movies, and we like, no, 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 no. It was just really, really good. But what I also love about filming is, you know, this is an army that moves, man. Yeah, man. You know, no is not an exception. There's no such thing. And it had the government turned to a film producer and a film crew to get fucking, you know, get track and trace that, it would have happened. Done. It would have been out. It would have been out, and it would have looked it, sexy. It would have been done. It would have been great. It would have been the best fucking track and trace the world had ever seen. There you, you go. Know? And it would have been the best in the world, unquestionably. Yeah. So AD is yes, just it. outside Tesco's keeping people two meters yeah. apart. Wardrobe, yeah. making sure everyone's got their PPE on. And like, I'm telling you, Bro, we can do anything. They're the going to be industry. yeah. They're going to look the best PPE. No, <laughs> <laughs> They're going to smash it in the PPE. Whilst you're in your two-meter queue, you've got makeup coming around doing a little bit of lippy and doing your hair. You've got the yeah. wardrobe team making you look fresh. So when you do your Tesco shop, you're the best they, you ever look. Bruv, you're down, you're down. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and, and that's the thing I love about the business is that anything's possible. Yes. I love it. That's it. And look, and on that note, I'm gonna yeah, wait. I think so. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the floor. If there's anyone, anything, a person, um, you know, give please give the, the the production company a shout out again, so that anyone that missed it first time round. But I step away. The floor is yours to 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 do your bit. Okay. Um, for me, there's only one person that's really helped me in my career and has just made it possible, and that's Martin Stellman. Martin um, Stellman wrote. Quadrophenia, and he also wrote Babylon. And ironically enough, I was in Babylon as an actor. Nice. Um, yeah, and uh, but I learned a lot writing for Green and Country with him when I did mm. my first screenplay. And uh, and he's just yeah, he's a fantastic, fantastic screenwriter. And so, had I not met him um, when I was doing youth theatre, he ran the youth theatre company, and that taught me an awful lot. Um, then I probably wouldn't be here. Mm. So I'd like to thank him. Amazing. And ironically enough, he rang me up the other day and said, Trix, I'd need to pick your brain. I'm working with a particular producer. Can you help me out? And I know you've worked with him before. I won't give away. But um, and he's working with Brian Ward, who's head of scripts at the film school. Amazing. So, um, yeah. So I like to, yeah. In the for Martin, ladies and gents, yeah. for, for allowing me, because without him, this wouldn't happen. And I wouldn't yeah, be kind true. of, you know, it yeah. just is brilliant. And I guess as an outro, you know that that as you're talking about it it's it's about mentorship it's sure. about people who are at your level 
and you know obviously everyone below that but finding the person that's below them to be able to kind of show them the ropes and teach them the right thing because it's going to be as you said not everyone's going to learn from a book a lot of people were going to you know three years at film school i learned more in the first two months on a set about how an actual film is made sure um then i did it then i did it uni and and i just love that the mentorship that you're talking about and being able to give voices those distant voices that chance and the opportunity to come through i think is amazing and i, I just think that if there was more people doing that then this film industry would would be a, a lot more eclectic and there'd be a lot more voices and there would be a lot more stories and a lot more films that are diverse and you know it, it, it feels like it's a start there's something's happened and i think come. something i think there's a grand shift and uh but you know i think it might take a couple of generations before it yeah, yeah. really really does kick in but at least there's dialogue going and uh there is an acknowledgement that there are there is a different diaspora going on here and, and equally, I think people are looking at different ways of shooting movies in terms of time and, yep. and, and narrative. Um, you know, everybody's going on about Michaela Cole, you know, but that's just one. But, um, mm. And, you know, and that's her voice that hadn't been heard until recently, you know, so let's, let's have more voices. Amazing. Well, look, ladies and gents of the Film God podcast, listening world, share this, send it out to people tag some people in it it's going to be on the social medias go to the film gods instagram page there's a facebook page share it. it i've had such an amazing time and i'm hoping that there's a round three coming up soon once you've done something you know we can do a little trending i'd love to keep the all right, right yeah, listen you just give me a shout i'll be there for you okay You're amazing okay. well ladies and gents if you know anyone that lives in antarctica hit them up <laughs> let's fucking nail this seventh continent <laughs> let's do it and ladies and gents, until we meet again, <laughs> we love you all, and that is a wrap. All right, take it. Peace and love, my brother. Okay, take care. So that was a chat with the king or queen in the game. I give it a shout at the end so you all know the name. It's the Film Gods Podcast. The what? The Film God Podcast.